The Athletic. Toby Football Show. Today, Premier League gets underway. There's impressive shutouts from last year's top two. City with Burnley, Arsenal with their fans and another draw for Chelsea and Liverpool. We'll be asking, is the feisty midfield scrapper they both need, Roy Hodgson? Is Newcastle's now the best midfield in the league or is that Enzo Fernandes on his own? And talking by and large, a good start for Spurs without Kane and a bad one for Bayern. All that and much more in this Totally Football Show. Listen, I'm excited to tell you that it's Sunday night still in this podcast. Uh, Sunday evening anyway, 13th of August. We've just seen all but one of match day one of this Premier League season. And fresh back from action, we have Jay Harris, who was with, uh, with the Brentford and Spurs at their Sunday early kickoff. Hey, James. How are you doing? Very good, thanks. Excellent. And Sasha Gurionov and Matt Davis-Adams, who's raced back from Stamford Bridge after a... Thrilling 1-1 draw. Thrilling first half. Yeah. Not such a thrilling second half. Right. What about you, Matt? You were at the top of the East Stand. I was at the top of the Shed in the second half. How did it look like to you? I'd call it an absorbing contest. Nice. Which means, yeah, the second half wasn't as good as the first half. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was pretty good fun to watch on uh, TV. I think Grace Robinson was saying, let's just abandon having DMs all together from now on because <laughs> uh, this is a lot of fun. But, uh, yeah, that's not a, a plan that either club, I, I guess, are, uh, are looking to... Uh, to follow up on because attempts to sign Lavia or Casado, etc., rumble on. Beyond that and other kind of more peripheral considerations, what was your moment of the weekend then with, with one match still to go, Jay? Um, this is a bit of a random pick, but Emerson Royale's nutmeg on Shandon Baptiste because it was one of those moments where the entire crowd just went, ooh. It just reminds you that why we love the Premier League because a random Brazilian right back just nutmeg someone out of the complete blue. Very nice indeed. Sasha, how about you? I enjoyed the way Brighton in the second half went. Player for player, we're so much better than you Luton players and we're just going to beat you 1v1. And they kept on doing it throughout the second half. Brilliant stuff. Matt? Uh, you can rely on me for the serious one. Double dose of Roy Hodgson, first of all, the unsanctioned no-holds-barred <laughs> match <laughs> right. with Max Lowe. Enjoyed that a lot. And, and then in his post-match interview, in a deliciously uh, Roy way of putting it, I'm pretty certain lots of teams will come here and find three points hard to put in their baggage on the way home. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, we've all begun sentences that have left us with no escape route and kind of had to kind of dig ourselves out of a hole with a kind of hastily constructed ladder of words that really don't belong there. This Some is... of us have tried to build a career on it, James. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, well, there you go. I, I, I thought it was an entertaining opening to the, the season. I'm, I'm looking forward to discovering what it all meant uh, from you guys. Uh, just check on the results. If you missed it, Friday evening, things kicked off with Man City beating Burnley 3-0. Haaland with a brace, another one from Rodri there. Aggregate score over 12 straight victories against the Clarets is now 43 goals to 1. Saturday, Arsenal replied with a 2-1 win over Nottingham Forest. Elsewhere on Saturday, Brighton beat Luton 4-1. Newcastle did Villa 5-1. There was a 1-0 win for Palace at Sheffield United. And it was 1-1 between West Ham and Bournemouth on Sunday. 2-2 for Brentford and Spurs. 1-1 for Chelsea and Liverpool. And on Monday night, it'll be Man United Wolves. Chelsea-Liverpool. Matt and Sashi were there. We'll start with that. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Fernandes. Sobers like clear. Back in by Chilwell. Deserving 1-1. 
All right, 1-1 at Stamford Bridge. It was Diaz on a terrific breakaway move from Liverpool that opened the scoring. A Chelsea responding with Matt. Dizazi, as I was told when I got to the ground, is how we pronounce his name. So Dizazi. Yeah. Nice. Some nice punning potential there, I feel, later in the season if things don't go so well for him. Disastrous. Yeah. Yeah, you think? Yeah, yeah oh, okay. we're workshopping it, but we'll see. All right. Uh, what a difference. What, that seemed to be the vibe at Stamford Bridge. What a difference, this Chelsea team. Yeah, totally. A lot of confusion as well when the team sheet came out. Um, among others, big day for Peter Drury, of course. He came and sought the counsel of the Chelsea TV regulars as to exactly what kind of formation this was going to be because we were all pretty confused. Um, Maurizio Pochettino seemed to claim that it was a back four, but I don't think it was. Um, certainly in the second half, they went back into that shape, put Cole at left back. But yeah, really, really surprising to see them start with three at the back, which they played in pre-season for a total of 45 minutes in the second half against Wrexham. So it, it definitely threw everybody for a curveball. But, you know, that's the impact of the, the Christopher and Kunku injury because he was the player who this team was being built around. So this was a Chelsea side that in the course of this game had 65% possession. That's the most anyone's had against Liverpool, you know, given the way Liverpool normally play in the last five and a half years, with the exception of Man City. Uh, but a lot of that, I mean, we can talk about Enzo Fernandes and the role he plays and all of that. But for a side that was without Unkunku, is that why, do you think that, Possession didn't tell in, a, in in the terms of three points in yeah, their baggage going potentially. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, Liverpool were better at the start of the game. They had the, by far the better of the, the first half of the first half, and, and the Salah goal disallowed by VAR is, is clearly the turning point of the game. If that if that is given, then I think Liverpool win the game comfortably. But Chelsea were able to to wrestle back control of it pretty effectively and. Yeah, I mean, it maybe put another couple of zeros on, on Moises Caicedo's fee for both these teams because mm. it was kind of screaming out for somebody like him in the game. But that made it more fun, particularly in the first half for, for those of us neutral observers. And and I think Conor Gallagher deserves a bit of credit. He's somebody who, kind of like Mason Mount, seems to divide certainly Chelsea supporters and to a wider extent people who watch football, I think. There's a lot of people who think he just runs around bludgeoning into people and trying to win the ball back. But I thought he was really impressive here after a shaky start and he's somebody who's permanently linked away with the move. But he really showed his value on a day where he was obviously outshone by other people, including Colwell, who you can totally see what all the fuss is about, you know, playing in, in at left back for a lot of the game, which is not his natural position. But plenty of encouraging signs now, yes, for Chelsea. Joe, were you able to watch any of this game? I kind of saw the second half, but not mm. a lot of it. Right. So uh, best to stick to the experts and if okay. jumps Sash, out. Do you want to tell Jay what kind of performance Enzo had to warrant the kind of accolades he's currently Well, I, I think for the first half an hour, I don't think Enzo and um, Gallagher did have a performance to, you know, to talk about too much because I, f I thought, and this is what the disallowed goal showed really well, with Trent moving into midfield, Liverpool always had an extra angle which they couldn't close. And I thought the disallowed goal was absolutely beautifully constructed through midfield. The first goal was constructed very nicely as well. There was some very sort of swift one-touch passing, uh, which, and again, I was con contrasting it to the start of last season when Liverpool went to Fulham and we were just all over the shop on midfield. I thought this time, the first half an hour, they looked pretty polished. But as Matt said, once the goal gets disallowed, I think Chelsea get a little bit more confidence. Of course, they get two goals in quick succession. One gets disallowed. And I think what happens in the second half, and for the second half, I moved from the press box up into uh, Upper Shed. Yeah, why was that, Tash? Because, uh, well, I would say that from Upper Shed, this is one of the best views I think you can get in the English League. Okay. Because you can see the whole pitch in front of you at a very nice so angle. Tactics cam. And, well, yeah. tactics cam. I mean, from Matt, where Matt sits with the commentators, I think it's a little bit too high up. 
but in the shed you kind of still f- f- feel the game and what you could see second half Chelsea just pulled wide and the ball went wide and Liverpool were too narrow and this is what I think where Chelsea kind of A on the defensively managed to close the game down and I hit Liverpool dangerously on the counter um, quite well and towards then Mudrik was running away at Alisson and Alisson made two or three key saves in the second half mm. Okay, I mean there were plenty of chances for for both sides, but as you say, Chelsea uh, really had a. It looked like if anyone team was going to win it, it would be Chelsea. Man. Yeah, I think so. They were a better team in the second half. I'm um, just on positioning. Sasha swapped. Interesting, well, interesting to me at least to know that Maurizio Pochettino has swapped it over so that Chelsea are in what is traditionally the away dugout now because that one is smack bang on the halfway line where the other one's kind of ten yards. So I was confused. Down. And I was thinking, am I misremembering this? But yes, he did switch, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, marginal gains and that. <laughs> yeah, anything, anything you can do. Well, that's that's fantastic. Uh, Mo Salah with a fantastic assist in, in the build-up yeah. to that opening goal, and then a wonderful departure from the game. One of my moments. <laughs> <in the weekend. laughs> yeah, I think you know uh, Salah has to look uh, has to look at himself there because he wasn't making much of a difference second half. At least Ben Doak actually you know revved up the crowd a little bit when he came on but I have to say also at the start I think Colwell did struggle to keep up with him uh, in, in, in the first half um, yes I'm a slightly undignified exit for him but I think just for anyone who missed it he's got a, a heavily bandaged <laughs> yeah, yeah. hand and when he's taken off for what a, a teenager a bend oak yeah, yeah uh, he, he, he begins tearing off mm. the bandages on his hand and throwing them with disgust to the turf and pretty quickly the crowd catch on to this and, and begin to greet each strap of bandage yeah. with another ole <laughs> And that the final right. one after he's after he's actually off the field is is is, is magnificent. Chef's kiss. Uh, well, I didn't see it from the end. Oh, I was yeah. I was right looking yeah. at that. So okay. as we Go. came off, and I'm thinking, oh, surely he's not going to keep going with this. But fair play, <laughs> yeah, to yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sticking with it. It ends his hot streak though, doesn't it? It's six consecutive opening days he scored yeah. on for Liverpool. All right. So uh, Chelsea going to win the league? Are Liverpool going to win the league? What any hot takes from that game? Hot take uh, number one. Um, <laughs> Chelsea need a proper goalkeeper. Robert Sanchez, uh-huh. I was waiting for him to try to pass Liverpool in, and he did in the 88th minute, and basically had to thank a miscontrol for not conceding. Right. So this whole chat of replacing Kepa, whether Robert Sanchez or Schmeichel, is absolutely insane. Okay, like, Kepa, who's just you know, a little footnote, supposedly heading to Madrid to replace the uh, ACL'd Atiba Courtois. Yes. Mm. Okay, Matt, your hot take? Uh, I think Chelsea could qualify for the Champions League this season by finishing fifth. That's my hot take. <laughs> Just uh, <laughs> quickly on Sasha's hot take. How much did Chelsea actually pay for Sanchez? It sounds like it's around 20, 25 million. And if that's the case, it's bizarre for me that they didn't push to sign David Rea because he's obviously shown himself to be one of the best goalkeepers in the league over the last couple of seasons. The deal Arsenal struck is... I think three million pounds for the initial loan and then 27 million pounds in a year. So if Chelsea had just stumped out a few million pounds more, they could have got guaranteed quality in Raya. And mm. I've seen Raya over the past two seasons and I can confirm he would not be passing it out from the back quite as sloppily as Sanchez did. Fair enough. That 10 million, though, that they saved from that might be crucial when it comes to the Casado. But, but this is the whole thing. <laughs> Historically, the keepers are underpriced. And, right. you know, if they're looking to spend 150 million on Casado... How much do they pay for Kepa then? Uh, overpriced. I think the problem with Kepa was they, they, this was a bad moment for them because Alisson just went for stupid money. So yeah. that kind of influenced it. But it's yes, funny how it, yeah, and now it's midfielders mm-hmm. that are that are destroying all precedents. Okay, uh, well that was what happened on Sunday, apart from the uh, Brentford bit, which we'll be coming on to in a bit. 
But next up, let's talk about how the weekend began Friday evening at Turf Moor. Hello, Taylor Payne here, host of the Athletics Newcastle United podcast, Pod on the Tyne. We're back and bringing you double bubble this season with two shows a week. So join myself, George Cock and Chris Woff and Jacob Whitehead as we dissect all the thrills and spills around NUFC, including the return of Champions League football at St James's Park for the first time in two decades. Just search for Pod on the Tyne wherever you get your podcasts and hit follow and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Haaland and Alvarez wait in the middle. It's back for Alvarez. And now it's Haaland. And now it's 2 0. What a finish from Erling Haaland. Premier League season began Friday evening with Burnley hosting Man City, the uh, visit of the Champions to Surf Morsel. Lighters being thrown at heads, uh, booing uh, from some in the crowd when the players took the knee, and one angry man storming the pitch to accost Man City players. That was Pep Guardiola, of course, who was having a go at, at uh, Erling Haaland, uh, remarkably after his uh, first-half performance. It just feels so performative to me, that. It's just a sort of see right through it, and I think... Holland did as well a little bit, you know. Obviously, Nathan Rebbin was just a bit too far away for him to reach. So, oh, I better get the big man instead. Right. It did, was. Um, a, I was just going to quickly say, Harland went on Sky Sports News afterwards and Sky Sports News, Sky Sports afterwards, and spoke about what it was. And Pep was basically telling Harland off for shouting at Bernardo Silva right. at the very end of that half. Uh-huh. And I do remember that incident happening where you know Bernardo has passed it to someone else instead of Haaland and just absolutely loses his mind for no apparent reason so I think that is important context but it still felt very unnecessary to do that smack bang in the the middle of the pitch I understood why Pep needed to have a word with him but just not right right in the middle of the the pitch and then push away the camera yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) a bit Phil (laughs) Brown-esque Erling Haaland with the opening goal of this Premier League season and then adding another it's the fourth season in a row that he scored a brace on the opening day of a league campaign. Madness. Worst news for City, who were, I think, pretty comfortable throughout the game, is that De Bruyne, Kevin De Bruyne, has continued his problems with injuries. I mean, only just come back from that hamstring problem in the Champions League final. He's now going to be out. Well, they're awaiting, I think, a verdict in the next few days about how long he's going to be out for. The sense is it's going to be at least a couple of weeks. Yeah, it seemed like a strange decision to start him, given that he barely, if at all, featured in pre-season, did he? It's the same injury, isn't it? Mm. You wonder why they they rushed him back for this game in particular, and it looks like they'll pay the price. We wonder if that might mean that they move again in the transfer market for for somebody else. But it's sad, isn't it? Because Kevin De Bruyne has been one of the best players the Premier League's ever seen, and you don't want it to kind of just fizzle out by him becoming a kind of perma-injured player. Indeed. Sky Sports running a stat in that game. 
that Man City had spent 424 million on their current defence, uh, <laughs> which is 64 million more than Burnley have spent on all the players that they've ever bought in their entire history. Well, I mean, I, I guess we knew that there's a a bit of a cat. Well, no, Sashi. Well, but, but I was about to say Burnley did spend 66 of that million um, of those million uh, on players going into the starting lineup okay. against City. So you know they're sort of upping it as well. But company kind of did sort of already make excuses before the start of the game by saying, look, you know, effectively half a new team coming together, you would expect not to have too much cohesion for the first few games, which I think kind of what we saw here. Um, but I also thought before the game again, there was, was Pep was actually generally a little a little bit funny because you know they were trying to figure out the formation with him, and he goes, he said they asked him, "Oh, is this right the way we set up?" They'll move, <laughs> oh, and they did. So, and I think this is one of actually the interesting things to watch with City now is just like how how fluid these formations are because right. you look at them on paper and you can never guess what they're going to do. And I, I mean, at the end of last season, I went to see Brighton City, and that was a lot of fun because it was just movement. And I mean, it's difficult to play. For one side, but how do you defend against that? Wow, uh, that's a problem that Sevilla are going to be uh, pondering as they approach the European Super Cup midweek. Uh, Man City's next game after that will be Newcastle. Newcastle, who had arguably the performance of the weekend, uh, they who weren't mentioned by any of our pundits in Thursday's show in the top four, likely top four come the end of the season took on a Villa side who a lot of people were very positive about and proceeded to give them their biggest defeat under Unai Emery. 5-1, the score there. The philosopher Trold writes in to say, I can't wait to hear the pain in your voice as you guys discuss how good Newcastle are. Hopefully we'll be given more than a one-minute slot now that we have the best <laughs> midfield in the league. Do they, Jay? Do they have the best I, midfield I've, in the league? I've got to say, I've been really excited to see how Sandro Tonali was going to fit into that mm. Newcastle team. Um, it was a move that kind of came out of nowhere and certainly caught a lot of attention. And he was phenomenal. He was absolutely brilliant. I think he's got such a wide range of passing for one. Um, he's also getting stuck into tackles. I know James Horncastle talks a lot about how people seem to think he's a PLO regen, but he's not quite that. Um, but he just had everything to his game. And the way that he combined with Bruno Guimaraes was a, was a joy to watch. And I think the scenes when he scored that opening goal, I mean, Newcastle couldn't have asked for anything more. But I think I wasn't necessarily saying that Newcastle would get in the top four. I think it will be difficult for them with the Champions League as well. But what I did say, or what I have told other people in, in conversations with them, is that Isak barely played last year. I think he only played... 20, 22 times. And obviously a lot of them were substitute appearances where his fitness wasn't fully up to speed. So I said, he's going to be a huge handful this season. I mean, just look at his his second goal in particular, the the composure to kind of dink that. I think he's going to be an absolute handful this season. So yeah, I'm really excited to see. Because he dinks the keeper, but also a defender be, you know, who's on the goal line. Huh? Yeah, yeah, I mean, he, a little bit Thierry Henry-esque in a way. I don't know if that's also because he's got quite a slender frame for a centre forward, but I think that combination of exquisite finishing, very quick, very composed dribbler as well, I think he's a brilliant talent. But that finish was extraordinary because no one read it. The keeper is mm. down, like no one on the pitch reads it and he just dinks him and everyone's like, what just happened? I mean, it's, it was supreme bit, a bit of skill um, from him. And I also thought with Tonali, aside from the passing and everything, he ghosted in for the first one deceptively quickly. He was nowhere near that ball. It was quite an interesting spinning cross yeah. from uh, Gordon as well. And yeah, so it looks, he looks absolutely superb signing. 47 passes completed out of 53 in that midfield. It's going to be running the game for them possibly yeah. with Guimaraes. Yeah. It's also a good, um, good moment for Anthony Gordon as well yes. because yes. didn't have the the greatest first six months at Newcastle. And I think there was a, a game where he got substituted off. It might have been against Brentford, actually. And, and he, kicked, he, off and he kick, kicked off with Eddie Howe. 
obviously did really well at the um, under-21 European Championship. I think he won player of the tournament, mm -hmm. didn't he, off yeah. the top of my head. But that pass and movement for that opening goal is, is exceptional as well. And that, you know, I think Newcastle's recruitment has been quite good. You've got Tonali, Gordon, Harvey Barnes, all these young players mm -hmm. who are 23, 24, 25 and can only kick on and get better and better. Yeah, Eddie Howe flexing his bench, uh, bringing on Barnes and Callum Wilson, who both added to the scoreline as they, they ran up the numbers there for Villa. Uh, beaten by four goals by uh, the Magpies, or four-goal margin, just like they were under Steven Gerrard for perspective. <laughs> also losing Tyro Mings as well. Uh, it looks nasty, Matt. It does, yeah. And it, It's not a great start to the season, is it? You can, you can lose a game 5-1 against a team playing really well, but to lose Emi Buendia probably for the season and oh, Mings... Really? ACL. Yeah. Well, you, ACO oh. six to eight months, isn't it? So let's say at least for the majority of it and, and Mings didn't look in good shape at all. It feels a bit desperate that they're, as we record on Sunday night, trying to pip Everton to Jack Harrison to kind of bolster their numbers a little bit. So, yeah, interesting, interesting times for Villa coming up. They go to Burnley, don't they, in a couple of weeks. Um, they've got Everton at home next weekend. So chance to pick up some points, but you don't want to be starting the season with a thumping and two significant injuries. But also this... For me, this game completely exposed them. Because one of the great mysteries of last season was high villa line, not very hard press. Why on earth does no one take advantage of this? And this game was just unbelievable. For the fourth goal, and Andrew Townsend after the game on analysis was saying, oh, you know, they're chasing the game. They're not chasing the game. Their back line is, is flat back line. It's 30 yards away from goal. The ball is 45 yards away from goal. Uh, three Newcastle players pass it around three Villa players and just play them in. That's not chasing the game. It's a complete failure of the system and it happened on two other occasions as well. And it just looks like a complete disaster. Wow, Sasha. What do you think about um, Newcastle's prospects this year? I mean, uh, yeah, so uh, I, I was listening to the preview pod, so Newcastle apparently were going to be seventh, Villa sixth. <laughs> um, I'm I mean, it could happen. <laughs> <laughs> 90 minutes of football, so... Uh, I mean... <laughs> I think what we could say, opening games of the season can often be quite misleading. Um, so let's see what changes Emery makes. Newcastle, one thing I would have to give as well for predictions as well, Adrian Clark did say either Isak or Wilson plays, but not both. And I think you could see here uh, that that would work really, really well. Gordon looks like a new player. Uh, yeah, I think they could threaten top four at this rate, especially given, you know, the game with saw Chelsea against Liverpool. There are more severe problems there, I think, in midfield than Newcastle currently have. So. Right. And Newcastle who will be facing Man City next Saturday mm. evening. Were they to win that? Big, big, big message. Uh, yeah, I think it might be a bit simplistic, but the key for Newcastle might be finishing either second or bottom of their Champions League group and avoiding the Europa League, basically, because mm -hmm. that seems to mess with everybody in the Premier League when you do Thursday, Sunday, doesn't it? Obviously, they might feel they'd have a decent chance of winning that, but in terms of getting back into the top four, I think you either want to be you know, getting through to the last 16 of the Champions League right. or not playing European football after Christmas. I hear you. Arsenal... Also had a win, although they got a bit of a scare, Matt, because the mm. off won Nottingham Forest. Three remarkable goals in this game. The, the Arsenal ones, first of all, uh, Nketiah, with his 14th goal in his last 16 starts at the Emirates, with the uh, wonderful assist from Martinelli. Did he mean it? Did I think he, so. Did I he mean so. it? I don't think he meant it for Nketiah. Mm. I think he probably meant to go and pick it up Was he himself. trying to do a roulette and then bring it, carry it through for himself? I think so. But he knocked it by accident on the way yeah. through as as you know understandably 
but yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, that's what enough. I think he was trying to do. Thanks what? for backing me up, Jay. I thought I was being bitter for his fans. No, 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 no. <laughs> what were your feelings on Bukayo Saku's? Uh, oh, that was absolutely goal. amazing, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that was like Hasselbank levels of hitting the ball hard. Really, <laughs> I was going to say really enjoyable. It wasn't for me, but um, yeah. not much of the first half, I guess. Post Brennan Johnson's early chance was enjoyable for Forest fans, but then kind of out of nowhere was this run from Ilanga lightning fast and what seemed like a split second later Taiwo Awani had uh, put the ball in the back of the net and all of a sudden it was game on yeah uh, Awani was a big miss from the start he got injured in, in pre-season and that's why he couldn't start this game but the, the real positive for Forrest to take here was that in these kind of away fixtures last season they'd go 2-0 down crumble and lose 5-0 which is exactly what they did at the Emirates last season so they didn't have much slash any of the ball for a, a long period of it but they were bloody minded enough to stick in the game and, and wait for Arsenal to miss a few chances and yeah they could have got something from it in the end you know, I, I wasn't I didn't agree with Steve Cooper that, that VAR should have looked at that potential Declan Rice and ball I didn't think that was a penalty but there were definite positives for Forrest to take from it but you know as I've said it's all about the home games for Forrest the first four home games are Sheffield United Burnley Brentford Luton hmm. They've got to take at least seven points from those because mm. they go to United City and Chelsea as their next away game. So they're probably not going to get very many from that. But it's been, it's been interesting from a, a Forest supporter's perspective to hear Steve Cooper being a bit more direct in his requests for reinforcements. He's always sort of towed the party line quite well in terms of managing up as well as down. But now he's saying, please can I have some more players. Will that play well with the owners? Um, yeah, I, I think it will. But I think the problem is that Forrest are waiting to pick up the scraps from everybody else. You know, they've been looking at Sangare from PSV all summer. Now all of a sudden you hear Liverpool, if they can't get Lavia or Caicedo, they're going to go in for him. So Forrest basically have to wait until everybody else has had first dibs on the good players and then pick up Chris Wood. Who, who do Forrest need? Like- the- they need a backup for Awani because he's injury prone. He didn't play 90 minutes last season and there's not much goal threat without him. Uh, they need another goalkeeper. I think that's fair. And they probably need another central midfielder. And left back, we thought we definitely need a left back. Olerena played there on Saturday and was really good, but he's right-footed and he's a right back. So we're going to need one of those as well. Whether they get any remains to be seen. But well, yeah, Arsenal were, were all right too. But i got to say, your, your first team goalkeeper... Is excellent. I thought he had a pretty good game against Arsenal. And that save against uh, Rice pings it from just outside the box, takes a small deflection, taking it further into the corner, and Turner gets across and turns around the post. Lovely. It's got to be such a weird thing, that, for him, hasn't mm. it? Yeah. You know, yeah. Really, really strange and disorientated. So he he's former Arsenal, but never played for them? He played a few but, games oh, in the um, Europa League, League, didn't he, last oh, season? He literally yeah. left a few days before. Yeah. Mm. So in my head, I was thinking, has he even trained... Nottingham Forest. He's probably just stayed down in in London and just met them at the stadium. Okay, but it's actually got your seal of approval. Yeah, I mean, he had a lovely game. Uh, yeah, I think I'm, I agree about the backup Horvat, who played for uh, Luton last year. Hmm. He's very much a Championship goalkeeper. I think they need someone a bit better than that. Um, okay. Uh, will Arsenal need a replacement for the newly arrived Julian Timber? Yeah, it didn't look good, did mm. it? That's for sure. And and just when you thought, you know, Arsenal. They stuck with the same lineup for most of last season, didn't they? And oh, they've added a bit of depth. I mean, they do have Tommy Asu and Ben White who can play there, so maybe it's not the worst. Still got Zinchenko to mm-hmm. come oh, back yeah. as yeah. well, because that's why Timber was playing on the left. Timber exiting early, uh, plenty of fans meanwhile entering late. So, from what I understood, right. uh, what's happened so far, so they're effectively introducing um, this NFC system, which has been getting. So, I think the whole idea around the Premier League is that eventually. 
all the clubs are going to be on the same platform, so you can click in and out of all these grounds and etc. And everything, the whole place is going to go ticketless, including away tickets. So I think clubs are rolling out this technology. So Liverpool have rolled this out two years ago, and they had issues in preseason friendlies where people couldn't get in, and there was like half an hour delay. I don't know if Arsenal tried, to, you know, tried it in preseason friendlies, but they ended up with thirty-five thousand people. It was reported being stuck outside at kickoff time, right? Which isn't great at all. No, it was great if you were watching at home because we got an extra half hour of build-up with Joe Cole and. Rio. Um, yeah, there were problems getting Brentford Spurs underway on Sunday. We'll hear more about that in a moment or two. Hey there, Totally Listener. It's me, Tim Spears, and I'm here to tell you about the Daily Football Briefing. It's out every weekday telling you exactly what you need to know from the world of football from those who know the game best. Start each day with David Ornstein telling you why Arsenal are signing that player or Liam Toomey explaining Chelsea's latest baffling move or Rafa Hernigstein bringing the biggest Bundesliga antics. It's all there in under 15 minutes. The Daily Football Briefing, available now and every day from wherever you're listening to this podcast. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Sports Podcast Awards Soccer Podcast of the Year. Well, the Premier League's been getting underway this weekend. The Women's World Cup has been sorting out its semi-finals. Four nations uh, that will be taking each other on. None of them have ever won the World Cup before. You've got Spain against Sweden. That's on this coming Tuesday. Sweden having knocked out the holders, USA, and then team of the tournament so far, Japan. And in the other semi-final on Wednesday, it'll be England up against hosts Australia, who were victorious in a particularly glorious shootout. Dramatic shootout. 21-year-old Courtney Vine at her first World Cup can write the Matildas into history. Cue the party! France are obviously one of the pre-tournament favourites. Um, and I think one of the issues Australia have had at this tournament has obviously been the unavailability of, of Sam Kerr and it feels like certainly the games I've watched Caitlin Ford's kind of been 
running Australia's offence by herself. So to even take France to, to extra time and then penalties, I think, was a pretty good achievement. And then it just had it all. It had penalties being retaken and then right. the, um, I think it was Kenza Dali her name is um, yeah. still, the penalty was still saved by Mackenzie so, Arnold there yeah, was just she everything going time, on had to retake saved the second time incredible so there was just all those kind of um, shenanigans going on then Australia had a chance to win and then they missed it was just um, right. the, the gift that kept on giving isn't it the longest penalty shootout in Women's World Cup and Men's World Cup history 20 pounds right? I 20 think pounds. so could be wow. I think so all followed avidly by people all over Australia and indeed uh, on airplanes. Yeah. Worldwide. <laughs> One yeah. random person not, not following it. Yeah. Uh, I have to say a shout out. I don't know if it's going to be their last World Cup. Uh, Wendy Reynard and Eugenie yeah. Le Sommer. I mean, they're like the last remaining um, players from the great uh, Lyon side. And they took both took excellent penalties. So if that's the final thing they do for France, you know, fair. Very nice. You can hear more about the semi-final lineup uh, on the Athletic Women's Football Podcast with Michelle Owen. Uh, and they'll be, of course, across the semi-finals with new additions every match day. Totally Football Show European Edition will be uh, returning this Tuesday if you're interested in a bit of continental news as uh, the various European leagues get back underway. We've already had the uh, Bundesliga with some action there, the Super Cup this weekend, and Ligue 1 is back underway. Uh, we'll be talking about Roberto Mancini's shot resignation with Italy Jude Bellingham scoring on his Real Madrid debut in La Liga Kylian Mbappe watching from the stands as uh, PSG had a disappointing start goalless draw for them but maybe positive news over Mbappe and we'll also be hearing about uh, Harry Kane and his Bayern debut in that aforementioned Super Cup that's all coming up on Tuesday with Raphael Honigstein Julian Laurence, Alvaro Romeo, and James Horncast. So right now, though, let's let's touch on the team that that Harry left behind. Brentford, sorry, not Brentford. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Spurs. They're called Jay, who took on Brentford. I actually got a phone call from my dad this morning, and he was in a very serious tone, oh. and it was just to ask me if I could give him a program of the first game that Tottenham played without Harry Kane. Really? And he's not a Tottenham fan, by the way. He's just an avid football. Was on the cover. Uh, Matthias Jensen because right. obviously it's Brentford's home game <laughs> were it me I'd want the last one that Kane played in I think but then I guess this is the dawn of a new era you were there to witness yeah. it um, and what did you think? Um, I thought Tottenham played pretty well I um, was impressed by James Madison considering that was his his debut for the club um, everything pretty much ran for him straight away and there was actually a situation where Son came off in the second half and Madison took the armband which caught me by surprise mm. Um, but yeah, I thought Madison did really well, Basuma. I think everybody kind of forgotten about Basuma because his first season at Tottenham didn't go particularly well. But well, I thought, he was man of the match for... for the, I thought he was very, very good. Yeah. Um, progressing the ball out from the back, making some passes into good areas. And then Destiny Adogi as well, um, who was on loan at Udinese last season. I thought he was fantastic for them as well. Great driving runs down the left-hand side. Um, obviously, the biggest thing for Tottenham is can they replace Kane's goals? And Richarlison was... He was okay, um, you know, up against the back three of Ethan Pinnock, Nathan Collins and Christopher Iyer. And I think Pinnock in particular did a really good job on Richarlison. So there's still things that, that Tottenham need to work out. But I think the fact that they were 2-1 down at one point and Brentford were definitely in control at that stage, I think to come back and get a point was probably a fair result overall. Looking at the stats, it seems like a much more attacking performance from, from Spurs. 358 touches in the attacking third. 
uh, which is well more than they managed in any game last season. They also took the lead in this game with that uh, thumping header from uh, Romero, who was subsequently then removed for having well thumped his head, I, I guess. Yeah, so basically Romero and Brian and Bumo had a, a collision maybe after 10, 12 minutes in the game, and they both received treatment for quite a while. Um, which contributed to the 11 minutes of added time at the end of the first half. Um, and yeah, Romero then scores and pretty much as soon as he scores with his head, mm. he comes off and he he resisted it. You know, he said, I'm fine multiple times. He was given right. a thumbs up and Postacoglu said after the game that they'd basically been monitoring it, waiting to kind of get a little bit more information as to how Romero was doing. And then I think he decided basically as he scored, that they were going to take him off regardless anyways. And, you know, Postacoglu spoke, I think, quite smartly on the topic, just saying he's the last person who I, sh I should be listening to in that moment. Like, we're the ones with the information as to whether it's okay for him to play or not. Right. Um, but then there was a little bit of frustration from him that basically Tottenham didn't fill out the substitution form correctly. So it should have gone down as a concussion substitute, but it went down as a normal substitute. So who was frustrated about that? Postacoglu, because it then prevented him from making another substitution later on in the game. Andrew was uh, complaining about that, but he only made three subs. But I think someone else pointed out that you can only make subs in certain windows, true, can't true, you? True, yeah, so yeah. if he's made subs at three That's different points, the, the concussion sub yeah. would have meant he could have made yeah. the, the other one. It's fair. Okay. How do you feel about Brentford's performance? Yeah, I think it was pretty good. This was really the, the litmus test for the the no David Rea era and the no Ivan Tony era. Mm. Um, obviously, I think it's well documented because Thomas Frank has spoken about it a lot that Brentford had a really good record without Ivan Tony last season. Um, 13 points out of a possible 15 in the five games they played. Only a bizarre own goal against Nottingham Forest prevented that from being five wins out of five. But what I've kind of been telling people when, when they talk to me is that Sharda, uh, Johan Visser and Brian Mbumo worked at the end of last season as a backup plan when the pressure was off. So was it going to work when opponents know that that's going to be Brentford's plan A? And it's and it did work pretty successfully, to be fair. And Bumo and Vissa got a lot of space in behind Tottenham in the first half. But then I think Tottenham just kind of gained control in the second half a little bit, maybe showed their their quality a little bit more. But I think it was still a pretty good performance from Brentford. And, and to be honest, the biggest thing overall is, was Mark Flecken going to be up to, mm. up to standards as David Rea's replacement? Um, there was a little bit of you know, worry from the fan base, shall we say, about some of his performances in, in pre-season. But I have to say, I thought he was phenomenal. And when you put into the context that Ben Mee was injured um, and he was Brentford's first choice centre-back last season, I think he played 37 out of 38 games. He was missing. Nathan Collins was making his debut for Brentford. You've got Christopher Iyer, who's right-footed and normally plays right centre-back or right-back, playing on the left-hand side of a back three. I think there was a lot of potential for there to be some teething issues, shall we say, I thought Flecken was remarkably composed on the ball, very good at claiming from crosses and set pieces and the like. And his distribution was phenomenal as well. There were a couple of passes he pinged out to the left to Rico Henry, which were, were inch perfect. So, you know, he may as well have just been a, a Raya 2.0. So hats off to Brentford again on the on the, his audition. He looks like he's up to scratch. Brilliant. All right. 2-2 two, two it finished then, the first game of this post-Kane era. And yeah, that's um, something that when we last spoke, Jay, we weren't certain was going to happen. There were still suggestions that, despite everything, Harry might kind of blink at the prospect of leaving North London. But it, off he goes, and I mean, they, I, he's been he's missed enough games that this game felt normal enough. But it's going to be it's going to be quite weird for Spurs fans this season. 
Yeah, I mean, it would be remiss of me not to point out that, you know, he had the opportunity to win a trophy in his first game at Bayern Munich and it didn't happen. Right, I mean, so. Poor chap, he <laughs> came on already 2-0 down. You can take the boy out of Tottenham, but you can't take him. <laughs> well, have you seen the reaction in Germany? This is something we'll discuss more with, with Rafa on Tuesday, but the headlines were, Kane has arrived, the title has gone. <laughs> the curse of that is Kane cool. is already well, tell trending people in, Munich, in Germany. Been, the, the, sh- the club shop has been selling out of Kane shirts. Yeah. They're all so excited about him. Yeah, well, I mean... You should, uh, they should be. I mean, I have... I, mean, I, th- I think we all have memories of Kane and the things that he's he's been doing. I mean, for me, big standout is um, October 2017, Liverpool went to Wembley. And I think... Maradona might have been in that game as well. And looking at Kane, I think he would have appreciated it because basically Kane single-handedly destroyed Liverpool mm. with some help from his mates. But he got Dian Lovro substituted after like half an hour. Uh, he scored two uh, brilliant um, pass to set up, um, I think it was Son. Dele Alex just scored in that game as well. So very much part of that first Pochettino team there. And uh, yeah, and I think um, in a way, he's a classic striker, which doesn't make maybe make you go, whoa, but he always scores. <laughs> And then also, the, as he started dropping deeper, with the passes from the deep as well, it's like, like an extra dimension to his game. So he has developed. I, th- I think one of the biggest compliments you could pay Kane is that for the last four years or so, it's almost felt inevitable. If he stayed in England, he'd break Alan Shearer's mm. record, which kind of tells you everything you need to know about the the different types of goals that he scores as well. Sasha just said it, that he's a complete striker. We've seen him score penalties. We've seen him score free kicks. We've seen him score with his left foot. We've seen him score with his right foot. And, you know, he scored 30 goals for Tottenham last year, which I think was 43% or around about that number of the total goals Tottenham scored that season. Just wow. shows you how reliant they were on him. And, and the fact that he did that in a team that was completely misfiring kind of says it all. Wow. It's going to be interesting to see how it works out for him. In Bavaria, as I say, yeah. Raphael Honigstein will be with us for Tuesday's Europod to bring us all the reaction to that, uh, a more measured take, perhaps. Uh, now, elsewhere in the Premier League this weekend, Burnley defeated Friday night. The other two promoted sides both got uh, losses in their opening games. Luton went down 4-1 at Brighton. Sheffield United at home to Palace. It was a 1-0 defeat for them. Can I just say... For Sheffield United, who are obviously in for a long, tough season, Gustavo Hammer is a really, really good signing. Okay. He's been absolutely superb in the championship uh, last season. Nine goals, ten assists, really, really good player, Brazilian attacking midfielder. Uh, you just wonder why they haven't done more in the market. I mean, maybe they say they, they don't have the money to do so. Matt, actually, since you're making that bold prediction, somebody was writing in asking to hear which team you were predicting to everyone's great surprise might be in relegation trouble. Uh, this season, who who would that be then? Quickly, um, can I say, didn't you predict Brentford last year? No, I didn't. I said Wolves would struggle last year was my there prediction, go, and yeah. struggle they did. So I got that one absolutely. <laughs> just checking, just keeping me <laughs> honest. Are you still kind of creeping along on the fumes of the momentum from that from Bournemouth? From Bournemouth. Yeah, we'd yeah. always have Bournemouth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> who, who would? Uh, who are you getting? There's nobody who I think is, um, you know, going to be a surprise struggler because I think Sheffield United are going to go down. It's going to be really difficult for Luton. I think Everton absolutely stink. And then there's a couple of other teams who will be around the bottom who you would expect to be around the bottom, like Wolves and Forest. So mm-hmm. I, I can't see that there's somebody who's going to plummet, you know, maybe West Ham. But would that be a massive shock? I don't think so. I, I don't think there's... I think there are too many teams who are likely to be battling relegation who you would expect for there to be some, like a Brentford or somebody to get to get bothered with that. I hear you. 
Let's talk about Brighton a little bit after that 4-1 win. Took a while coming, but eventually the goal started flowing. Solly March opened the scoring. Ja Pedro, who got booed throughout the match by Luton fans because he used to play for Watford, added one on his debut. Evan Ferguson also added to his growing legion of fans with a goal. And then there was one from Simona Dingra. Tell me more, Sasha. Uh, obviously, one, uh, one of those players who has a season in Belgium at Union Saint-Gilloise. Nice. Does really well and then gets into the first team at Brighton, uh, like Mitoma the season before. Nice. Adingra uh, last year had 15 goals, I think, and 15 assists in 51 games in all competitions. It, As it, Union Saint Gilles finished third and got uh, into the quarterfinals of the Europa League. Uh-huh. So and he was key part of that team. So, yeah, very, very exciting. What position, Sash? Uh, so I think he is kind of attacking midfielder stroke winger. Okay. So I, th- I think if you, if you look at what Brighton are doing season after season, uh-huh. losing all these key players, De Zerbi in the pre-match press conference said, ah, you know, the Cassette is already gone. Have we seen any difference? Absolutely not, because right. the guys are coming, that are coming through, including James Milner, mm. absolutely have, seem to have very little effect on, on, on how well they play. One player you didn't mention um, as well is uh, Pervis Estupinian. Yes. Absolutely destroyed his flank. Um, can I say he took the pit out of Luton um, on occasions in, in that game? Again, um, for I think for the third, he had defences of sixes and sevens. Eventually, Pelly makes a mistake and, um, you know, Dingra scores. Uh, but it's really just, how do they do it? Well, it is only the first game of the season, but to borrow but your it, expression, it, but it's, from earlier. And they were playing a Luton team who are widely predicted to struggle. A wonderful stat about the different level of experience in these two sides on Saturday. Deserby's side with... 1,600 Premier League appearances under their belts. Luton's 11 had 63. In fact, James Milner on his own has more than 10 times as many Premier League appearances as the entire Luton team can uh, can boast. Remarkable. Anyway, it was a great start from, from Brighton eventually. And uh, off they go. But I, th- I think also in the Brighton team, you get Van Hecke. Uh, mm-hmm. very young centre-back who only has a handful of appearances still didn't play in the Premier League before last season so they're going to gradually bring in those players through and I think it's that mixture of experience and, and youth which you know it's almost a cliche but this is what Luton don't have I mean if you look at the signings that were in the starting lineup for Luton you know they're from Stoke Wolves keepers from Blackburn this guy from Barnsley Rotherham they're all championship experience and you know I saw Luton last year in the last game at Kenilworth Road before they went up and they basically just smashed Sunderland through physicality and I don't think they've really changed it up that much for the Premier League. And for me, I think this is going to be a step they just cannot make. And I, I have them rock bottom uh, because I just think the difference in quality is so huge. But it's, it's sensible to buy a load of championship ready players yeah, in the expectation of going down yeah. rather than get yeah. Jesse Lingard That's for a grand fair. a week or yeah, Absolutely fair. <laughs> mm. Although that'd be fun. It's always fun. When well, Ross Barkley can fill that role, I guess. There you go. <laughs> uh, elsewhere in the Premier League this weekend Bournemouth had a 1-1 draw with West Ham any thoughts on that? West Ham no new players in the starting lineup. Mm. have they signed anyone? yeah Alvarez ah of course they have signed him now Ward-Prowse medical yep. fee agreed with Maguire very nice Everton lost 1-0 at home to Fulham yikes Bent Leno Un- unfortunately though mm-hmm. they were unfortunate yeah I think their XG was Tarkovsky's... 2.98 2. off the top of my head. That could be wrong. Yeah. I think it was one of the highest XGs in Premier League history where they failed to score. And I mean, that kind of happens when you've got someone like Neil Mope up front who mm. spurned multiple good chances. Come um, on, Bent Leno. 
Yeah, of course, but Leno had a great game. I'm not disputing that. Although that goal... They also had a goal. It should have stood. But Tarkovsky backs into him after he drops the ball. No, it's Sasha. He doesn't back into him initially, and then he backs into him after. But if you're an Everton fan, I'm sure you must be furious about this. They opened the scoring in this game or would have had that goal stood. Yeah, if I scored that goal in Sunday league and the referee disallowed it, I'd go absolutely mad. Respectfully, of course. I wouldn't be... For sure. But yeah, Leonard climbs, climbs up and then lands on top of. Tarkovsky very pointedly just backs into him. As, as, as I just demonstrated how he backs <laughs> into him. He probably isn't, isn't going to. Yeah, I, I think he probably should have stood. Yeah. Um, but Tarkovsky did obstruct him a little bit. Um, occasional reminder that Bobby De Cordova reads Sister Marsha is the Labour MP for Battersea, Ballam and Wandsworth. Oh, That's wow. Really? So, yeah. I, I always like that. to pull that one out when I'm doing a full right. game. Crikey, Matt. What a time to, to, to drop that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Man United Wolves on Monday night. That's it. Any final thoughts about the uh, game so far, Sasha? I think it's good to be back. Yes. Definitely good to be back. I, th- I think the, the previous season went on for way too long. Yeah. But having taken you know a couple of months off, I'm ready for this. This is quality. Good. Jay? Exact same. I think when that you know music was blasting out at the the G Tech Stadium earlier, hmm. I just felt like you know I've had a good couple of months, been on a couple of holidays. I was like, now I'm ready to just get stuck into it. Right, cut to week two. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> just wait until I've got to go to an away game at the other end of the country, <laughs> yeah. and trains are getting cancelled. I'll quickly yeah. uh, change my when tune. Brentford playing Burnley. <laughs> <laughs> Matt. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was just last season was such a grind um, professionally, Chelsea wise, that it was just nice to be at a kind of refreshed Stamford Bridge where everybody wasn't just really angry. Yeah, I mean, it's only 90 minutes in and not too many hearts have been broken so far, but it did seem there was a lot of positivity going around the various uh, grounds so far, at least. Anyway, hopefully that's something that we'll be continuing with. We're back on Tuesday with the European pod, as mentioned. And then on Thursday, uh, to look ahead to Manchester 2. For now, many, many thanks for being with us. To Jay, to Sasha, to Matt, and producer Charlie. And you, listen, I hope you have a great week until we catch up with you again for now. From all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel.
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 